1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 442 with Diana Boer. If you perchance spend more time on email than you'd like, Diana has some handy solutions for you. So you'll learn one, just how much time you can save through email optimization. Two, how to reduce useless emails and optimize your inbox. And three, how to compose better emails in less time using the made, M-A-D-E structure. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F442. Now, here's Diana's story. Diana Boer's life work has centered around communication. She's the author of 48 books that have been translated into 64 in language editions. She's traveled the globe talking with clients and organizations on six continents about communication challenges they face at work and at home. Her firm works with organizations to help them communicate clearly. During her more than three decades at Buer Research Institute and earlier at Boer Consultants, she and her team have provided communication training programs, coaching and consulting to governmental agencies, and more than a third of the Fortune 500 organizations. The national media frequently interviews Boer for opinions on communication issues, and she blogs regularly for Microsoft, Forbes, and The CEO Magazine. So thanks to Diana for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free here is Diana. Diana, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Thank you, Pete. It's great to be with you.
1: Well, I'm excited to chat once again. I think we're going to get into some really important stuff. Uh, your, your book is just a, a bullseye, I think, in for many professionals that they need to hear. But first, I want to hear a little bit about you. You say you're afraid of heights, yet you have four million frequent flyer miles on American Airlines. What's the story here?
2: I don't know. I'm going to blame it on my mom. You know, we blame everything on our parents. But she used to tell me when I was growing up, I was going to catch my shoelaces in the escalator. You know, jump off quickly, quickly. And I, I guess that's where it came from. I don't know, but I have been known to even walk over and ask total strangers if I could hold onto their shoulder or their elbow going down an escalator. I just, mm-hmm. I just. What did deaf. they tell you? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, at a trade show, would you believe it was a competitor who was standing at the top of an escalator about to go down. And I I humbled myself to go over and say, I am totally afraid to get on an escalator. Can I, can I hold on to your arm? And she just... Broke out into hysterical laughter and said, of course. And it broke the ice. It actually improved the relationship. Oh, that's
1: good. (laughs) Was this this a training competitor?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes, it was a, a competitor by my training company. But I've even tried to get over it by, you know, going on tours when we're climbing a mountain, doing something to, you know, go to this big lookout and I, probably every country that I've visited, about 60 of them, and I would start off with my husband, you know, and this group, and we're gonna go, and I would get to the, you know, the first or second little stop and just cling to the side of the, the mountain till I came back down. No. I, just, <laughs> I just can't do it, I just freeze.
1: Well, maybe someday, um, someday. But, but nonetheless, it hasn't stopped <laughs> you from flying and, and building and selling a training business, so congratulations on that as well. Um, That's cool. But you're still in the game somewhat because you wrote a new book, Faster, Fewer, Better Emails. Very on topic, I think, for a lot of us. So tell us, what's the big idea here?
2: Well, basically, it's about productivity and, of course, the writing skill because you want to be on message. But it increases productivity three ways. It gives strategies to reduce the volume that's about to engulf everyone, helps you write the necessary emails better so you get the action you want. And really the third way it increases your productivity is it helps you write faster because you're thinking more clearly And you say the right thing the first time. You don't have to do it over and over and over. So basically, that's it.
1: Cool. Well, that that sounds great. (laughs) Well, so maybe let's talk about the why for a second. So I I know I I don't like having a ton of emails hanging out in my inbox. It feels kind of uh, uncomfortable. Just a a low-level anxiety exists in my psyche when I've got it. And I know listeners, I owe you some messages, but you're not (laughs) forgotten. Uh, it will happen. Yeah, <laughs> hashtag you know, two babies. <laughs> I,
2: I think I think most people feel stressed by their email. Yeah. At least that's what report. You know, when we did our major survey, which is sort of the basis of all the strategies that we give in the book, we surveyed people from more than thirty different organizations across all industries, and we found people are really, really stressed out by their email, and they're not only. At work, but when they go home, they're logging back at, back in after hours and on the weekends to just keep up with it to, to start off even again the next Monday.
1: Oh, certainly. Well, so, so could you maybe give us the lay of the land then? You got the survey, some research, some study. Can we get some numbers on kind of wh- what sort of time are we talking about and what kind of time could be saved if we were doing it faster, if you were better?
2: Well, two to three hours a day, and that's conservative, according to the research. And we found that 42% of the respondents spend three or more hours a day doing email. And that's that's just astounding to me because many people, that's not their core job. We're not talking about people whose job it is to sit there, you know, like customer service agent, maybe whose Mm -hmm. job it is all day to sit there and respond to email. But maybe their core job is, you know, doing an engineering project or, or writing a feasibility study or doing an engineering report. But that's just on top of their regular job. In fact, a story that one CEO was talking about, he was saying, he was talking to a reporter. He didn't actually, this was a story passed on to me, but the reporter was asking about the volume of email and he said, uh, well, I have a, a project here that would probably take me an hour and a half to finish, but because I get so much email in here, it's probably going to take me the rest of the afternoon to do it. And that was at one mm-hmm. thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> so people, the, the idea is that people just can't get to their real work because of keeping their email up, you know, staying through the inbox, going through it all the time. We just found out a lot of things with the email that I was really surprised to know. And that comment from that CEO reminds me, 55% of our respondents said uh, that they check their email at least every hour. In other words, they, no just, kidding. they just leave it open and they just, they're continually checking their email rather than focusing on their core work and checking it two or three times a day, which is what I recommend in the book. You know, you check it when you come in in the morning, maybe you check it after lunch or before you go to lunch and then check it before you go home so you can respond to things that people are waiting on and it's either waiting for them before they go home or the next morning. But some people just, as things pop into their box, they handle it so they're continually distracted from what they're doing. Mm -hmm. another thing that was surprising to me, since you're asking about surprising things, 31%, in other words, one out of three people said that they spent more than 20 minutes every day, just searching for information because they're disorganized. And so when they need to send an email or attach something, they don't file documents. They don't title them consistently. So they, they're looking for things, you know, they, they just kind of haphazardly put this here, put that there. And so when somebody says, can you send me the numbers on this or can you send me data for that? They're searching. And some people say they spend up to an hour a day just Mm -hmm. searching for things. That's where the disorganization really cost them a lot of time.
1: And so if, I guess I would say, well, hey, emails are sort of a part of life, you know, just how much savings of time are you seeing when you implement some of these best practices?
2: Well, we have not asked per se different organizations to give us savings. Now we have on our writing programs, when we were teaching writing programs before I sold my training organization last year, we surveyed every few years and we asked organizations to report how much time they saved in writing time. And the average participant or the average organization came back to us and said they saved upward of 35% on their writing time. Okay. And also we had to measure reading time. Now this was self-report and we would say, all right, when they started, before they went through our program, we would say, how much time do you spend writing normally? And then how much time have you reduced it? Would not, not just the next day. Well, they remembered all, all the techniques we gave them. Right. But we would ask the organization, not us, but the organization, their HR department, their training department, go back and ask them three months later, how much would you say you've estimated reducing your writing time? And the average would be upward of 35%. And so that's a tremendous savings in just their thinking process. And Mm -hmm. and then also in reading time, we ask them to do the same thing from their executive's perspective. You know, all the documents that are coming to them. And they're just basically, their job is reading. You know, decide, Mm -hmm. approve, buy this, consider, you know, have a meeting on that. But all of that is coming to them in written form before they take those actions. And if they can cut the length of documents going to them, then obviously, and particularly if there's, they're copying, you know, six people or 42 people, then they're saving a lot of reading time. So that's another way to measure. We've also had a client who actually literally, literally measured paperwork, you know, because a lot of people they don't want to keep the screen time. So they'll print out believe it or not, in this day age, they'll print out a lot of emails and take it with them on the airplane to read or take it with them, you know, on a briefcase, uh, take it with them on the road while somebody else is driving if they have a lot of commute time on the train, etc. And so this one client literally measured paperwork. How much paperwork did they have before they started this program? And then how much six months later? Less trash. And there's an engineering company, as you can imagine, that would do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's another metric. So reading time and just uh, a-, a thinking time and preparation time. There's uh-huh. a lot of ways to measure that. We let organizations themselves measure the effectiveness and, of course, the results. And if they are salespeople measuring the closing rate, if they you know, can't close the proposal. But after they learn to write better and they have a better closing rate on their emails or the proposals when they're dealing with their clients, that's a measure as well.
1: Oh, So much good stuff. All right. Well, well, I'm sold, you know, Hey, 35% on two to three hours a day, one ish hour a day. That's huge. What could you do with that? Wow. So let's, let's get into each of it. So when it comes to say, first of all, I just got a boatload of emails. How do we tackle that?
2: Well, I, there's several strategies to cut paperwork and just to reduce the volume. And that, let me give you one other piece. And before you understand how these strategies play out, when we ask people, what are the kinds of emails that you get that are just totally unnecessary? Mm-hmm. They said 32% of the emails that we get are totally either redundant or irrelevant. <laughs> and when they defined what they meant, it either doesn't apply to them. In other words, they're on somebody's distribution list and it's long outlived its usefulness. They don't need to be on that list anymore. So, so people just, you know, they put together a list for this project, or this certain kind of monthly report, and then they no longer need to get it. But people, rather than cleaning their distribution list, they're just still sending it over and over. Mm -hmm. So that just clutters their their box. Or they have no interest in it. They never were interested in getting this information. So every morning when you come in and you look at your email, a third of it you don't need or it's redundant. Six people have sent you the same thing. Mm so. Just cleaning your distribution list and deleting and unsubscribing rather than just deleting for all eternity. You don't need this, then unsubscribe. Don't just delete it. Of course, it takes a little bit longer, Mm -hmm. you know, to take three steps to, you know, undelete and then that. Safe unsubscribe, always ask you, you know, why do you want to undelete? Is this the right email? And why do you not want it? Did you not sign up, etc.? That'll take you three clicks rather than delete, which takes you one click. But then you're out of it for good. Mm-hmm. You don't keep getting it right. every Tuesday morning, etc. But here are the kind of strategies that I'm talking about in the book. In fact, the first chapter gives 12 of these. But throughout, you'll come up with about 30 or 40 throughout the whole book. But let me talk about some of those that are the most troublesome that clogs up your email, and that is using your email box for a to-do list. (laughs) A lot of people open up their email and they think, oh, I need to do something, but I I can't do it right now. I need to finish so-and-so or I need to collect this information, but I don't have it. And rather than schedule that task or pull that over and put it on their calendar or make a physical note of it if they need to do that, they just leave it open in their email box and then they open the next thing. Oh, I need to call so-and-so. Well, I don't want to forget that. And they just leave it in their email box. And so pretty soon they've got 15 open emails and they keep having to read through those. And then the next day they don't remember what, what was that? What was that detail? And no, when was that due? And they have to read through those. Oh, every time they come th- across it, they have to keep reading through it and reading through it to remember. So it clutters up their box. It creates rereading. So when they Come across something like that they need to act on it they need to either move it file it make another note of when they're going to do it move it over on their calendar and just get it out of the inbox. It is okay. not your to-do list.
1: <laughs> so, if, if, so there's a to-do item and it doesn't belong in the inbox, but it should be not forgotten and placed elsewhere. So are, do you just have like a separate folder or label called to-do or, or what is yes, that?
2: Yes. Yes. You can have a separate, there's several ways to handle it. If you're using Microsoft Office 365, you literally can pull that email over on a date to handle it. Let's say okay. you're waiting for information to go in that email before you can respond, you, you're going to get some data next Wednesday on it, then you can literally pull it over to next Thursday because you're getting the information on Wednesday and know you can respond on Thursday. You okay. just literally drag it over on that pane. Or you can make a note, let's say you have a, a paper calendar that where you have a list of to dos. You can just make a note, respond to Jack about so and so, and then file that document with that clients if it's merged with your CRM system, your customer management system. Mm-hmm. Just file it. Or if you want to You could have a folder that says to Do's" and just pull it into that folder and then check that folder every morning for what you're going to do or schedule it on a certain Mm -hmm. day, just any number of ways. The point is, don't leave it in your inbox because you just keep having to reread it and think, what was I supposed to do? What were the details of that? What was the deadline of that? Et cetera. I dig that. And another thing that clutters up and disrupts people and distracts them from their core work that I was talking about is what I call piling on or hanging on. <laughs> and what I mean by piling on, let's say a manager or just anybody is working on a project and they, they've written a document and they want some feedback or they're just sending it out for, for input and they send it out and say, I'm, I'm getting ready to forward this up the chain to such and such. Is everybody okay with it or do you have anything to add? Well, if you read it, Instead of everybody, you know, hitting reply all and saying, It's fine, looks fine to me, okay, I don't have anything to add, and mm-hmm. cluttering up you know, twenty-seven boxes with meaningless comments that all say the same thing, don't do that. Don't use that reply all. And not only are you at fault if you're doing that kind of reply, but also the person who sent that out is creating the clutter too. What what you really should do is if you want input, you want feedback, is to say something like, I've put together such and such report that I'm getting ready to mail to Joe Schmo on this date. After you review it, if you have any comments or changes, please reply to me individually. Otherwise, no actions taken. If you see no changes, please, no action is necessary. And then that takes care of it. You you know you're not, you don't Expect any reaction. You don't need people to 27 people to hit your inbox with meaningless comments, basically all saying, It's okay. I don't have any changes. Mm -hmm. So you see how people they create sometimes their own clutter. Right. You should just ask for an exception. If you have an exception, email me back. If you have a change, email me back. But if you're fine with this, no action's necessary. So it's not only the person who's doing the cluttering by hit and reply all, but it's the person who's asking for the feedback. They're not asking sometimes in the best way possible.
1: That's great. It's nice and clear. So you you put that out there. Uh, How else do we slim that inbox?
2: Well, I think what I call piling on is similar to that, but a little different. And I think people do it for relationship building, but after a while it's, it's just clutter. Somebody's out sick. Say, for example, and they uh, send an email and say, uh, I'm not coming in today, I've got the flu. And all of a sudden, they get 14 emails back. Oh, sorry, sick, sorry, sick. Uh, see you tomorrow, buddy. Take it easy. Uh, no problem. We don't want the germs. And, you know, he <laughs> got 17 emails again that interrupt everybody else's work. Occasionally, you know, if it's some over the top, odd, unusual circumstance, then okay, that might be necessary, and occasionally you do that kind of thing to build camaraderie. But when you do that routinely with just meaningless responses, it's distraction, 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 distraction.
1: Right, and you can show your support with a individual reply, you yes. know, like yes, <laughs> without involving everybody. Yeah,
2: yes, right, right. Uh, another issue that's a problem or, or, or thing that people need to think about is just using email for. Things that email was never designed for. When we first got into the big email in a big way, back in the 90s, people used email for everything, because basically that was our only communication connection system. And so we used it to schedule things. We used it to invite people places. We used it for project management. We used it to collaborate with teams. It was just the all-purpose tool. But that's not the case anymore. There are all kinds of more appropriate software packages for specific tools. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to, for example, Pete, when you schedule interviews, you use, what is it? Calendly. Calendly. That you use. Uh, If you're doing project management, there's Basecamp, there's Asina, there's WorkZone, there's Slack, there's all kind of project management. Tools and communication tools so that all of your comments as a group working on a project can move over to that area and be together without cluttering up your email. Mm-hmm. Whatever tool that's more appropriate, take it off your email so that it's done efficiently. I mean, if you're using Microsoft 365 and you're trying to set up a meeting with three people, I mean, you've seen people go back and forth on their email like, we really need to get together to discuss this. Or, Are you open at the end of the week? Then somebody else replies back, oh, I can't do it at the end of the week. I'm gonna be out for a couple of days. We're closing our new house. How about early next week? The person who emails back says, well, I'm gonna be traveling Tuesday. How about, how about Wednesday after 4? No, I can't. And they got six emails going back and forth trying to set a time when on Microsoft, they could just say, Cortana, find an open place on our calendars and schedule the meeting. And it's done. Mm-hmm. So my principle here, use appropriate software to do tasks that email was never appropriate. It was, it's just not the appropriate tool now. Maybe in the 90s it was, it's no longer the appropriate tool. So email is used only for correspondence.
1: Okay, lovely. Well, so now I want to dig into a little bit of the the composition side of things, and you've got uh, a framework which I want to hit in a moment but but first I'd love to get just your you mentioned that you saw some cool results with regard to sales folks having better you know close rates or I imagine also uh, opening things up with with a cold email and and starting a conversation. What are some of your tips for just generally speaking writing emails that that get responses maybe when you're Reach out to someone for the first time?
2: Well, several things here. You always want to be specific. The reason a lot of people don't get action on their emails is that they're just not specific about the action. They write to inform, but they don't persuade. Now, I'm not talking about hard sales. I'm just talking about they need to ask for an action. It's amazing how many people who are in sales who don't really ask for the next step. You know, so can we meet with you to give you a trial run through this? Can we set up a tour? Can we do such and such? They have to be very specific about a time, mm-hmm. a date, a task. Uh, the greeting needs to be tailored. You get a lot of emails that you know have gone to the world, so to speak. You know, they, they sent it to their entire database because it doesn't use your name and there's nothing in there that is specific to you. There's no indication that they know anything about you or remember anything about you from a previous conversation. So there needs to be some tie to what you said previously. I think it's also important in the subject line that that subject line is not mysterious. I know if you are, you know, writing ads on TV, Uh, If you're doing something for the Super Bowl, okay, you've got to be clever and cute and whatever. But that's not email. (laughs) Email, I call them sublines, SUB. That stands for they need to be specific, they need to be useful, and they need to be brief. So if you can take the SUB, specific, useful, and brief. Because otherwise you're an sob <laughs> couldn't resist. You've probably heard that dozens of times. You probably in no, your life. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick thinking there, Pete. Oh, you got it. But people prioritize by their subject lives. When they're busy and they're on their phone and they're sitting at the gym, waiting on their, you know, sitting at the soccer field, waiting on their child to finish the sports uh, workout or whatever, and they're going through, you know, 42 emails and they're trying to decide, read now, read later, or wait till I get home, wait till I get back to the office in the morning, etc. They've got to decide and prioritize. And so you, you've got to tell them immediately. And some of them actually just read the subject line and decide to delete And and make the decision whether I'm going to open or send it to somebody else. So they need to be able to tell exactly what it is and see what's in it for them. So if you can put the action that you want in the subject line, that much better. A lot of times people just use a topic in their subject line. And what's far better is to use a headline. Can you imagine reading the newspaper tonight and seeing something like Congress, veto, no. <laughs> terrorist attack, Weather. I mean, you don't, you see something like terrorist attack kills 52 people in Malaysia or Sri Lanka or whatever, or you see Congress, Trump vetoes XYZ legislation or Congress passes XYZ bill. You see a message and that's what Highs of 70
1: this weekend. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Your subject line needs to say something, not just introduce a topic. And that yes, supported. you know, I say this with
1: slide headlines too, as, as opposed to just yes. like report, data, yes. <laughs> survey. It's like, yes. you know, well, tell me what I'm supposed to take away from the survey. Otherwise, we might all just draw our own interpretations, which if that was what you were going for, you know, that's okay. But usually it's not. Usually you're trying to tell a story.
2: Right, I was coaching. I coached six executives last week and part of, I was coaching them on executive, they're already executives, but I was coaching them to polish their executive presence and when they actually do a presentation to the board of directors. and. We went through the entire slide decks, and by far, most of them just had a topic as their slide. And I am saying, "Well, but what's the walkaway here? You're, you're talking about uh, your revenue, but what what about your revenue? What mm-hmm. you're talking about your your goals? Well, are you saying you're not going to meet your goals? You are going to meet your goals. Your goals are falling short of what your budget or your revenue or your profitability. Is it that you're not going to meet your profitability goals for the next quarter? What What is the point about that? And they finally you know, got it. And then once they understood, we're going for a headline here. If they could just read this and didn't see anything on that slide or they didn't read anything in that email, could they walk mm-hmm. away with a point? And then they got it. And that, that's key in email. Another thing, too, that keeps people from even seeing your email is the habit. It's, it's kind of a recent trend of putting favorite quotes in the signature block and putting images in the signature block. You know, it, it wasn't a big deal until about five years ago, maybe it was about eight or 10 years ago, people started putting an image for their signature. Instead of typing it, they started writing, you know, actually doing cursive, so to speak, and scanned it in, and they scan in their, you know, like Joan Smith and then they put that image there and they'll put their favorite quote or they might put a banner or their company logo. Those are the kind of things that spam filters catch and keep things from being delivered. So in the last three or four years, people have learned that and they stopped doing that. But it's really the the spam filters are getting much more savvy about stripping those out and saying, this is spam. This is you know, being careful to not uh, send those through, you know, from the outside. So be careful about doing that and use fewer images that will get clogged or get uh, screened out.
1: Okay, cool. All right. Well, So so that's some handy stuff in terms of, of getting the response. And, and so now, you know, let's talk about the process you utilize to uh, craft emails quickly and effectively.
2: Okay. Well, you know, the the book which talks about writing faster fewer and better there's two parts to that i don't mean faster in the sense that you're really going to type faster or that you're going to zap it off faster or there's a faster way to get your email through technologically what i mean by that is faster thinking all right if you do it better And you think better, you will do it in a more complete fashion from the very beginning. And that will result in getting the action done the first time. And you'll, instead of having to write seven emails to correct a problem or to handle a situation, you'll write one email that takes care of the whole situation. And so Uh that's what I mean about overall fast overall the whole situation will be taken care of faster. And so the thinking process really is to analyze your audience right up front. You know, do you have one reader or do you have multiple readers? Who should you really copy? A lot of people, if you think about this Pete, a lot of people write, they have a situation that they need to communicate about. They write the email and then they think, okay, who should get a copy here? Okay. That's a totally wrong approach because your email should be tailored according to just like that slideshow we were talking about a minute ago. The email should be tailored according to who you're writing to. So the first step is, who am I writing to? And then what is their bottom line message of interest? If they could just read one sentence, what would that one sentence be? And why do they want to know this? What's what's their interest in about this situation? And then you ask yourself, how are they going to use this information? I mean, are they going to actually do the action? Are they just going to approve something? Are they going to just forward this email to somebody else and somebody else is actually going to implement it? And if so, then I need to copy so-and-so because they need to actually implement it. Or maybe I should put the bulk of this information in an attachment for a reference so somebody can just print it off because they're the doer but the person I'm writing to is just the decision maker on it. They're just gonna approve it and then they can forward it to somebody else to actually implement this a month later. You know, so you see all those questions matter even in the format of what you're sending. And then you ask yourself, okay, what do they already know about it? Don't tell people what they already know. (laughs) Think about this, Pete. How many times do you get an email that starts off? As you already know, Or as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, and they spend a paragraph telling you what you already know. Mm -hmm. I mean, as we discussed in the meeting last week, blah, 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 blah. And you think, yeah, I was in the meeting. Why why are you wasting my time rehashing what we decided last week? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a waste of time. So think about that. And then think the last question, maybe the most important is you ask yourself, okay, how are they going to react when I tell them this? When I give them this one sentence overview message, are they going to be skeptical? If so, that means you're going to add the why details to to build credibility. Are they going to be angry? Is somebody going to lose face? Are you creating extra work for them? Is this going to cost a lot more than they thought? There's some typical negative reactions they might have. And that thinking dictates the details you're going to put in. If you think there's no negative reactions here, you may not include some of those details, so that thinking the answer to answer those questions right up front immediately tells you what details to include and what you should omit. What, what's just going to clutter it up? And then once you do that thinking, you're home free. Basically, you just arrange it in the made format.
1: And so the made format is is the message, the actions, the details of the evidence.
2: Yes, yes, and that's what I spent a whole chapter on because that is that is what will revolutionize ninety five percent of what you write not literally I've, I've been stuck for three decades I've been teaching writing and I, so I've read I've re- I've literally read thousands and thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of emails so I can say it with confidence in all different industries all different types of documents 95 percent of what we write in the business world can be structured that way. And that is an overview message of one or two sentences, maybe three if it's a really long document. And then, so what action next? Based on that message, what do you want the reader to do? It could be a recommendation, big picture recommendation, or it could be a follow-up action. You might be saying, so based on that message, here's the action I'm taking, or here's the action I want from you, the reader. And once you get that message in action, then you circle back and then you elaborate on the details. Now, if they're just brief details like a word or a phrase or a who or a when or what, those brief little details that could be answered in a word or phrase are probably already going to be part of your message and part of your action. But if you need to elaborate, that's the key phrase, if you need to elaborate on the details, then that elaboration comes in this detail section. Generally, it's the how and the why. Most often, you come back and and you elaborate. Here's why I'm saying what I'm saying, and here's how to take the action. And then the E evidence. If you have any kind of attachment you want to send along, like here's a copy of the the spreadsheet that I'm referring to, where I've done the uh, calculations, or here's a copy of the contract that I'm saying I don't agree with this clause that we're going to dispute in court or whatever. That's now, here's a map of the layout of this building that I'm saying we need to renovate this, this particular wing. It's something like that. Then you attach it. But if you use that structure, you just start thinking like that. And then emails are so easy to write when you just think, okay, what's my message? What's my action? Okay, now, what needs to be elaborated on? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you send out an email.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that, and, and I think so often it's like I start writing an email. I like, wait, wait a minute, what am I, what am I really going for here? <laughs> it's, it's, and then I like rewrite it, and, and then maybe rewrite it again. Whereas you could just sort of take a moment. So it sounds like you might even sort of jot some notes on a on a tablet uh, or, or scratch pad somewhere as you're doing this, or, or how do you think about that?
2: Yeah. A lot of times people can, once they start thinking like this and they practice this, they can do the MADE in their head, you know, while they're getting dressed in the morning, while they're driving down the freeway, while they're sitting on the subway, while they're eating breakfast, I think, okay, in a sentence, what's my message? If I just picked up the phone and thought for a minute and it's about to cut off and I'm thinking, oh, I got to get on the plane. You know, they're saying, turn off your cell phone, turn off your cell phone. Mm -hmm. I've got 30 seconds. What would I say? And you can figure out that part in your head you've got a scratch pad write it down you don't have to even write out complete sentences just say you know here's the phrase for the message action I want them set up a meeting detail I need to explain why this fine is gonna happen how how much it's gonna cost and and how to set up the step three steps to do so-and-so and And that's just scratch sheet of paper that's your outline and then when you get to the computer you're ready to just turn it into sentences and it goes Mm -hmm. very very quickly but you can do that thinking anywhere.
1: Yeah. And so I'm wondering, so how do you think about the, the headline, the subject versus the message?
2: The subject is last. See, a lot of times people fill in the subject line first, but you can't summarize if you don't know what your message is. So always write it first and then go back and put in your subject line. Your subject line is like the Reader's Digest condensed version of your message.
1: Okay. So, so that is an even shorter version of the one to three sentence message.
2: Right. Right. Like, it's a summary version of your message and your action.
1: House on fire. <laughs> 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 Insurance yeah. payment, 5000
2: <laughs> Yeah. Or just, just hired new VP, colon, uh, semicolon, starts next Monday. I mean, that becomes the summary of the longer message, your first sentence, which would be our executive Senior vice president has just hired junior vice president, Mr. So-and-so, who's coming to us from XYZ Corporation. He'll be starting next Monday, and his key responsibilities will be blah, blah, blah. I mean, that would be the full message. Mm -hmm. But your subject line might be, just hired a new executive vice president, starts next Monday. Mm
1: -hmm. And the action is you need to invite him to the luau, make him feel very welcome here,
2: and acquire
1: a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs)
2: right and be sure to shake his hand and ask for a raise right up front
1: (laughs) that's great cool well any other thoughts when so you do your thinking up front and then you you put that out there with the made format and then Mm -hmm. you do the the subject last any thoughts for doing some of the editing in terms of okay i've written a bunch of words on my screen should i Just do it. How do you do that well? (laughs) Just just do do the editing. Do do the
2: editing. (laughs) A lot of people just, when they get through doing the thinking, they do the one draft and they hit send and send it out, and that's not a good idea because you're going to have missing words. You're going to have an awkward sentence. You're going to have a grammatical error. So then take the minute to go back and reread it. It's best if it's a really important email to let it cool off, and particularly if it happens to be bad news or a sensitive topic. Let it cool off overnight if you can. If you can't, a couple of hours helps. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back, you know, just after a couple of hours, just you know, go to lunch and come back and read it and think, oh, no, I'm so glad I let that sit here. I see, you know, two missing words mm-hmm. here or you just can't see things. You read what you think you wrote. Your oh, message great. is still in your mind. So always let it cool off if at all possible. Now, if it's just a, a two sentence email to the guy next door and you don't care about a missing word or an awkward sentence, then okay. Sometimes you just have to do something immediately. But if it's important, yes, cool off is really important. Now, if you can't do that, uh, optimally you, re- you could read it aloud if the tone is important. Read something aloud to yourself, and you can catch errors. If if you think people are going to think I'm crazy, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> pick up the phone and hold it like you're talking to somebody, or you know, you've got your Bluetooth plugged in, and you're you're just talking out loud, and people f- won't think you're crazy. they'll think you're talking to your you know your spouse on the phone, and it'll sound mm-hmm. funny to your ear. If it sounds awkward and stilted or something, your ear will catch it, and you can improve it. If the sentence sounds too long when you start to read it. It will feel awkward to you. And you'll think, whoa, I, I lost my breath. I couldn't even get to the end of the sentence. And it'll help you go back and think, I need to cut that sentence in two. It's too long. I ran out of breath, ran out of steam, ran out of energy. If that still you think, well, you know, I, I think I've got some hot words in here. I'm not sure. It could be offensive. It could be a little blunt. Then have a colleague read it. Now, don't read it to mm. them because you add the inflection. Right. And you can change it. You, It could be really blunt on page, but you're softening with your tone. So just hand it to them and say, read that and tell me what you think about the tone. And so when they pick it up, they could be a more objective reader for you on sensitive matters.
1: That's lovely. Thank you. Well, will tell me any sort of key, you know, software, plugins, add-in services, tools that make this better or, or help with the email struggle.
2: Well, you know, I mentioned things for software to do other things other than email, like Calendia, Slack, mm-hmm. Work Smart Sheets. Those are the kind of things that you want to look into. Just think, do I have other things that are not correspondence related? Those are what's Helpful to you. Short keys. If you find yourself writing the same messages over and over, maybe like a bio, like when I respond to reporters frequently, they want your credentials or your bio. So you have that on short keys. You can just hit two keys or, you know, a code and the whole paragraph goes in. If you have a certain product or a certain service that you provide, then you hit short keys and the whole paragraph goes in. What you don't want to do is to write those over and over because even if you know in your brain what you're saying, it's too easy to incorporate an error, you know, to leave out a word just because of familiarity to create a typo. So it's good to make sure it's error-free to begin with and then just plug it in with short key.
1: Well, awesome. Tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention about email before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: I think that you just... Don't want to create distractions for yourself. Many people create their own distractions with email because they keep it open and they use it for to do's and don't ask things in the right way. And so they write six or seven emails to accomplish what the first one should have accomplished.
1: All right. Thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote that you find inspiring?
2: I like the quote by Martin Luther, who said, if you want to change the world, pick up your pen and write. Now, for me, Uh of course, that's been inspiring because I've been a writer all my life. But for others, I think you do the same thing for your own reputation when you write a good email because that has staying power. It establishes your credibility on any subject.
1: And how about a favorite study, experiment, or bit of research?
2: I always like to read the major studies that IBM does, that Kinsey does, McKenzie, Price, Waterhouse, Cooper, all of the Gallup. I like surveys because I like to keep my finger on the pulse. And of course, it was very revealing. Our study with University of Northern Colorado, their social research lab, when we did this major study for faster, fewer, better emails, that was very revealing. So whatever study that you put faith in, look at the trends from that.
1: You mean like over time? Yes. So Gallup this year, the next year, the following year.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how they change. And how about a favorite book? Uh, Traveling Mercies. I I like Anne Lamott, basically anything she writes. I like, (laughs) I really like her. Uh, And a lot of people haven't discovered her writing, but she's an excellent writer. She has a book called Bird by Bird, which is on writing. All right. But uh, Traveling Mercies is one of my favorites.
1: And how about a favorite tool, something you use to help you be awesome at your job?
2: I like snipping tool. It's just so easy. I keep it right at the bottom of my task bar. I find that I use that all the time. It's just so useful for adding something, a screen capture to send in an email to show people exactly what you're talking about. So simple and yet so useful for so many tasks.
1: And it's called snipping.
2: It's called snipping tool. Mm Mm-hmm. The icon is like a pair of scissors and you literally you right. can cut anything on your screen and then attach it to an email and send it. You can email it. You can paste it into a, an email. You can just capture the screen and send it as attachment. It's just, it's like the simplest miracle that you can imagine.
1: Okay. And how about a favorite habit, something that you do that makes you awesome at your job?
2: This is weird. I know because most people like to procrastinate, but I like to move All of my deadlines for any kind of task, I move them forward in case of emergency. If somebody tells me I have to have something done by May 31st, I will move it up at least two weeks because I don't want to be caught in case of an emergency. If there's a major illness, if there's a death in the family, I just don't want to be stressed out and I don't want to miss a deadline. So whatever deadline somebody gives me, if it's just a few hours or days or weeks, I'm going to move it forward. That's Mm -hmm. just a habit I've had all my life.
1: Sure thing. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with uh, listeners and audience members?
2: Yes, this sentence I have quoted and collected in most quote collections online more than any other. It's been out there for a while, and people just keep repeating it and quoting it. It's, if you can't write your message in a sentence, you can't say it in an hour.
1: All right, beautiful. Well, Diana, this has been a ton of fun. I, I wish you tons of luck with uh, faster, fewer, better emails and your other adventures, and-, and just keep doing the good
2: work. Thank you, Pete. It's been great to be with you.
1: Diana had so much good stuff here. Wow! Can you imagine slashing thirty-five percent of your email time on out of there? I really dug what you had to say. I also dug some some additional tools that we didn't talk about, such as Superhuman for email to go even faster. I am a paying user of Superhuman, and I genuinely love it. They're not paying me to say it. Maybe they should. One of these days, that'd be nice. As well as OmniFocus to just forward uh, tasks over into my task box separately, not using it as a to-do list piece. But even if you use none of those fancy tools, I think just following that M-A-D-E framework can be huge for saving time. I really like the action piece in particular. I'm always amused when I get an email that's just a bunch of stuff like thoughts, question mark. It's like, I don't know. I there's, I mean thoughts is so, is so broad. It, it, it'd be much better if you could ask me for exactly what you, you would like from me, and then I will be able to give you all the better thoughts in response to that. So great stuff from Diana. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F442. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Peter Ludwig. He's talking about how to conquer procrastination. I hope to catch you there, and I hope to catch you even earlier. By hearing your advice over in that survey, awesomeatyourjob.com slash advice. Until then, peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation you can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the how to be awesome at your job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader.